Hey y'all, Tessa here. I'm so excited for you to dive into this episode with Sarah Carlucci. But before you get started, I do want to give a trigger warning. We are going to be talking about eating disorders, eating disorder recovery, and some heavy topics in this episode. So if this is not something you would like to listen to, I would recommend tuning in to next week's episode. It is going to be a little bit lighter, If you do choose to stay and listen to this episode, it is a really good one and I'm excited for you to hear it. Hello and welcome to the Be Bold Fitness Podcast, the show where we talk about different topics in the health, wellness, and fitness space. No topic is off limits here. I'm your host, Tessa Breeden, certified personal trainer and nutrition specialist the passion for helping busy adults tone up, lose body fat, and feel good. All right, Sarah, I am so excited to talk to you today. Before we got started, I just briefed you on everything that we're going to discuss. And so I'm really excited to just kind of dive in. I feel like we've got some like heavy hitting topics that we are we are diving into. And so I just kind of want to get started. You are the head coach of Strive to Thrive, which is a very successful online fitness and nutrition coaching business. And so how long have you been coaching and how did you get into it? Yeah. So I've been coaching now for actually a total of five years, which blows my mind. I like don't even understand how I'm almost 30 now. Like when did that happen? I have no idea. No, I don't know. (laughs) I was like 21 when I got certified and I'm like, now I'm 27. Like that's insane to me. But so I've been in the coaching game for a really long time, but I have been working with Strive to Thrive and for Caitlin now for two and a half years. So it has been amazing. I met her about three and a half years ago and we revisited when she started Strive to Thrive as a whole. And Mm -hmm. I was her second hire and been with the team ever since. And I freaking love it. Didn't you guys meet on like a fitness cruise? Yes. And we laugh about it all the time. We went with four strangers. We had no idea who each other were. We went on this like one on the waves CrossFit cruise and it was insane. Like we literally still talk about it. We're just like, oh my God. Like we, after that cruise, we didn't keep in contact. We were, we were friends, but we were just like, okay, that was fun. Like how much, how cool was that? And now all of a sudden it's like, I get to work for my best friend and it is amazing. That is so fun. I love that. I think that's like the best story of meeting because it's one of those things where you don't know when you meet somebody, how they are going to change your life. And clearly it's made a massive impact for you. Did you plan on working in the fitness industry? Was it always something you loved or did it just kind of come to be? Yeah, it it wasn't actually, and this isn't like one of my favorite stories to tell. So I was a soccer player for like 15 years mm-hmm. um, and I was always the one on the team who was like, no, I'm not going to the workouts. I'm not going to the bodybuilding section of our, you know, practice. I was like over it. They would literally laugh at me because I would be like, no, like absolutely not making fun of all of them, like not trying. (laughs) Um, and I just didn't care at all. I just wanted to play. Like, that's all I cared about. And, um, moving into college, when I stepped away from athletics, I was just kind of like, 
this is weird, like not having something to work for and work toward. And at the time I was dating somebody who just introduced me to the gym and I was like, whoa, I love this. But even then still, it didn't like occur to me. I was going to school. I graduated with a marketing degree and it wasn't until my junior year of college, kind of during eating disorder and then post eating disorder on my rise of recovery, where I was like, this is what I meant to do. Like, I have no doubt in my mind that this is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. And from there, I never looked back. I was like, I'm quitting. I worked in a hospital. I had a fantastic job. I had two other jobs at the same time as well. And I was like, to my parents, I was like, hey, I'm going to quit. And I'm just going to like, see what happens. And they were both like, what? Because at the time, you know, this wasn't normal. So at the time they they were kind of just like, what do you mean you're going to work online? Like what is online coaching? What is, what is that this even mean? And I was like, well, we're going to see what happens. And now here we are. Yeah. So you had no one, I mean, you're, you have a pretty large social media following, but did that all just like come organically? Was there any like intent or planning behind it or did it just kind of happen? No, it really just happened. I started that page when I was a junior in college and I just remember people used to make fun of me. I used to feel so uncomfortable. I would only go to the gym with like my best friend or my boyfriend so that people could, they could film me and I wouldn't feel awkward. And literally just over time, I was able to build the community I have now, which I still feel like I'm just kind of like, whoa. Yeah. They're here for me. Like what? It's amazing. How does it feel to be a fairly influential person in this space? Like what weight does that have on you? It's always so interesting because I feel like I don't even think about it sometimes. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it's in those moments where I am somewhere and someone's like, oh my God, like I follow you on Instagram. I just want to come say hi. And I'm like, whoa like me? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like I'm just kind of like, that's so crazy to me. And so I, I feel like I don't try, I try not to think too much about it and more so just think about what I put out there, the value I put out there, the vulnerability I put out there and just hope it can help at least one person. And I try to just take the pressure of like, whoa, there's a lot of eyes on you. Well, it's like, Hey, yeah, there is. But I mean, I still have to do what I, what I want to do. And so I just try to Take it day by day and just be myself. Yeah, and I can say with full honesty and confidence, you and I met, I believe we met in person before there was any introduction of online. I didn't know what your Instagram was. I think we like briefly got introduced at church and then we went to the same gym and kind of ran in the same crowds and you are very much the same person in person and online. And so I think a lot of times when somebody does have a social following, you always wonder like, oh, is that person real? Or when somebody's almost like too nice, you're like, it's almost, they're so nice that you think they're fake nice and you like Mm -hmm. love to hate them and hate to love them. And I feel like it can kind of come off this way because you are such a nice and bubbly person. Like, yes, you share a lot of vulnerable things, but I think people can often be like, oh, you know, Sarah's so fake because she's so nice and has this goofy personality, which you really are like that. And so it's, it's one of those like weird things about online that we have to think about. I know. It's so crazy. I remember when I first started meeting people in the fitness industry, it was like 2018 and I went to my very first Arnold and I was meeting these people who I was so just head over heels for in the fitness space. And I met them and I, I will never forget how disappointed I was. And I hate to say that about a person, but I was literally like, oh 
you are nothing like the person that has inspired me for so long. And that was a really big wake up call for me where it was like, I will be damned if I ever meet somebody who told me they look up to me and have them walk away from me feeling disappointed that I'm not exactly who I portray myself to be. Ooh, yeah, that's really good. I I agree. I actually used to work in the influencer marketing space and yeah. I worked on the brand side of things. So we were actually doing brand partnerships with a lot of influencers. And I had so many like fashion influencers that I really looked up to and was really inspired by. And then working with them and the amount of greed and how rude they were about campaigns and the way that they talked to us was so demeaning and awful that it was just kind of this like gut punch of this person online as somebody that I've been following forever and the way that they treat people in real life is absolute garbage and it just makes you rethink things. And like you said, it's so disappointing and- Yeah. So I I think the internet is an interesting place. Um, But okay. So we've obviously been talking about being influential in this space. And so, as I mentioned, I want to talk about some heavy topics. So the first thing I want to dive into is you mentioned your eating disorder and just trigger warning to anybody listening. If you would like to skip over this part, you can. I know that we are going to be diving into this. And Sarah, thank you for being so vulnerable about your eating disorder, the recovery. And so when did your eating disorder really start? And when did you like start noticing that you had a problem? Yeah, it's so unfortunate to say, because I feel like with anybody, it, it's such a big gap when it started. Mm-hmm. Finally, like, holy crap, like I need help. Right. And so uh, end of my sophomore year of college is actually when my eating disorder started, um, which was around like 2015 Okay. Um, and I had an eating disorder for about four years. So my full blown recovery is actually relatively recent. I would say I couldn't have actually said I am recovered until about the end of 2019, 2020. Um, not so much when it came to like restricting my food or anything of that sort, but just small habits that you have to unlearn and that you have to find, you know, I, I feel like, um, no longer taking stressful things out on your body was the hardest thing for me. And that was the year that I finally, you know, let go of bad body image altogether. And I I try to tell people that all the time. They're like, oh, I'm human. It's normal to have bad days. And I'm like, no, it's not. Like you're going to learn that that doesn't need to be a thing one day. And that freedom, when I discovered that, that's when I feel like I really was able to be like, I am free and I am recovered. Um, But I didn't actually, you know, reach out for help until my 21st birthday. So it had been a year out of college the summer I was out of college. So 2018, um, I remember so clearly it was my birthday party and my whole family was over and we had all this food, like a whole spread, all this alcohol. And it was supposed to be just like this big, exciting thing for me. And I remember I had my dinner that I made before everyone came over wrapped in a tin foil that was the size of like this. Okay. okay. And I will never forget. It was like five pieces of zucchini. So it was like a little baseball size. Yes. Okay. Yes, it was like a baseball size. Um, and it was like five pieces of zucchini and like just like two or three slices of grilled chicken. And I remember I went up to my mom and I said, can you hide this in the air fryer so no one takes it? 
Mm. And she was like, okay, yeah, honey, I can do that for you. I'll make sure like nobody takes your food. And um, my mom put it in the air fryer and I cry every time I tell this story, but I remember like I was at my party and I was just looking around and mind you, like dead middle of summer is my birthday. So it's warm and I'm from the North. So it's muggy and it's humid. And I was in like long pants and a sweatshirt. Cause you know, you just want to stay covered up. You don't want people to like ask questions or make comments about your body. And I just remember looking around at everyone having all these conversations and laughing. And I feel like I can like still hear the laughs of that day. And I realized like I was not happy. I was not laughing. I was not talking to anyone. And I ran into the kitchen and I just grabbed my mom and I started crying in her arms. And I was just like, I need help. Like I can't keep living like this. Um, and ever since that day, I, I never relapsed. I never turned around. I was like this, I can't do this anymore. So it was something that you recognized. I think that's almost like the most mind-blowing part of it all is I don't think a lot of people recognize it themselves Uh or maybe they do and I'm not aware of it, but I feel like it's a really hard thing to have that internal moment and be like, oh shit, like I have a problem. And so like, I obviously commend you. So when you went to your mom, did you um, seek out therapy? Did you go to like a recovery center? How did you uh, approach that? So I actually went through therapy um, and it was, I and I, I like to share this story because a lot of people struggle with even going to therapy. And initially that was like the hardest thing for me. My mom was like, we'll find you a therapist. And I was like, then yeah, I can do this on my own. And my mom and I were kind of like, no, I can't. Like, I, and I knew I couldn't. It was just that fear of being vulnerable in it, like continuing to push through it. But um, I do like to say this because I want people to know it's kind of like a relationship. <laughs> like you might not find the one for you on the first try. Um, and so I had some pretty bad therapists. The first therapist I went to, I had a terrible experience, like absolutely terrible. And I was so vulnerable that I didn't even realize until I was telling my mom the things that were happening in my sessions. And my mom was like, you're not going back there. And now looking back on it, I'm like, oh my God. Like if I today would have walked into that office and she would, she would just say to me little things like, I'm going to clean my desk off while you talk, but like, I'm still listening. Don't worry. And Mm. I would just and I would be like, okay. And like she would be literally cleaning her desk, like walking around. Like, and I literally was like, I had no idea that that wasn't normal. Um, but it took me, uh, my third therapist was finally the one where I was like, oh my God, this is how it's supposed to be. I feel safe with you. I feel like I'm making strides forward. And I stayed with her for years. So she was amazing. Once I got to a point of um, mental recovery. I actually started working with a coach, Lexi DeYoung, who is actually now one of my best friends, which Mm -hmm. is a full circle moment, but yeah. And she was incredible. She walked me through everything from there and she was so supportive and she was a big inspiration for me of like continuing to remind me of why I wanted to be better so that I could do that for other people. Yeah, that's great. And again, thank you so much for sharing that. I know it's super vulnerable to talk about and clearly brings out a lot of emotion in you because it's a really hard thing to go through. And your recovery has not been a slow, or I'm sorry, it's not been a fast process. It's been 
a marathon. You know, it's, you said it's been about five years to be fully recovered and now you are working in the health, wellness, fitness space, which is a really, really terrifying industry to work in, especially if you have had an eating disorder, because we are working with women and we are teaching them about healthy eating habits and lifestyle. And I think that there can be a lot of blurred lines in this industry. And so how do you feel like you can take what you've learned into coaching women about health? I think a lot of what I hear about macro counting and tracking and things like that, people automatically think like tracking your food is an eating disorder. Can you touch on that a little bit on your, obviously this is your personal experience, but if you yeah, wouldn't mind just like sharing, cause you've obviously been on both sides of that. I will definitely say it is the most annoying thing once you are recovered, especially. And it's like, it comes from a place of love from some people, but with others, it's like, now I'm in a dieting phase. And you know, you tell some people that and they're like, are you sick again? Mm. And you're like, you're like, no, I'm still allowed to take care of my body just because I had an eating disorder at one point. And that's where I think it comes down to like certain people making things you've been through your identity and understanding that that's not the case and that that's not fair to pin on other people. Like I had an eating disorder, but I'm not an eating disorder. Uh Um, And so I think it's really important to decipher that. And I think when I hear people kind of say like, oh, well, tracking macros is just another way to mask a disorder. No, it's not. Not when you are a healthy individual. When you are somebody who's still struggling with an eating disorder, and that's actually called orthorexia, is basically when you take macro counting and tracking your food and meticulous meal planning and, and weighing things out, that is an actual eating disorder. So yes, there are recorded instances, of course, where macro tracking has been used to increase an eating disorder. But does that mean that people who track macros have an eating disorder? Absolutely not. It's a really great tool for people. And I think there's a fine line between, first of all, disordered eating and an eating disorder are completely different, right? And then also doing something because you really want to see results and having an eating disorder are completely different things. And so I think it comes down to the person and their mindset around food. And hey, like if I pulled your macros away from you next week when you're on vacation, how do you feel? Do you feel good? Do you feel okay? Because if you don't, then we need to talk about that. So that's where, you know, it's kind of comes into play with from a coaching standpoint. But opinion, I can't get behind it. I I, I don't understand why people would say that. And I, I do to a degree, but again, it's completely different. And I think if you're not in this space and you're not educated, it's easy to be like, oh, well, you're tracking everything you eat. That's disordered. But it's like, no, you're just uneducated. Yeah. And I, I think this is always really touchy. Now, again, mind you, neither of us are doctors here. And so if you think that you are experiencing something that is far beyond what we're talking about, please, please go seek out therapy, see your doctor, talk to somebody. Like it is a very serious issue, but you mentioned an eating disorder and disordered eating are two separate things. From my understanding, Disordered eating is a learned trait. It is something that can be unlearned. An eating disorder is an actual disease. It is a disorder. And so I think that, like you said, macro tracking or any tracking that is paying attention to what you're eating could essentially be or could essentially lead to disordered eating of some kind. But like you said, it really comes down to that mindset shift and I think it takes a lot of time to understand like where your comfort level lies in it. I think that Mm -hmm. 
the nutrition space is, and I've talked about this on a few other episodes, like this is a really crazy industry because just like any other industry, this fitness and nutrition are marketed businesses. Like people, Mm -hmm. as bad as this is, a lot of people aren't out there to actually help people. Mm -hmm. They are there to market businesses. Like the crazy shit I see online is mind blowing. But I think that once you are given the education and can understand why tracking is used as a tool is really how it can give you desired results. And not everybody has the same results as us. Yeah. And I think it's so hard to generalize that somebody who tracks has a disordered eating habits because that's not necessarily the case for everybody. Mm -hmm. And again, I used to talk to my therapist a lot about this because I personally would use tracking as a form of control when other things felt really out of control. And so Mm -hmm. she would just remind me to just be really aware of it because we can almost use it as like a coping mechanism at times. But I learned how to get out of that. And I taught myself how to intuitively track a little bit better. So I at least was making smarter choices, even though everything wasn't like gram for gram, because I personally want to live a flexible lifestyle and have that freedom to do that. So like, what is living a flexible lifestyle mean to you? That's such a broad term and it means something different to everybody. I love this question. And I feel like I actually talk about this on my page a lot. If you don't follow me, I share literally bits and pieces of every little part of my life, my recovery, my coaching, my my faith, my weekends, my social life. Like I share everything because I think it's important to show people what a healthy lifestyle looks like for me, mm-hmm. right? Because I'm sitting there preaching like, hey, I can help you get to this. Okay, well, what does mine look like? Because if I'm sitting there showing you me tracking my breakfast, lunch, and dinner and hitting the gym and getting my steps in, you're not seeing much of that lifestyle balance. You're seeing me hitting my protocols, which is fantastic. And I do do that, but I do do a lot of other things as well. And so I always say, You cannot have a healthy lifestyle without a life. And I think that that is such a great thing to bring yourself back to when you are trying to form healthy habits because you can form those healthy habits. But just like you said, Tessa, sometimes we like that control and it's like, oh, well, I want to be in my routine. I want to wake up. I want to do this, 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 and this, and that's it. Well, if your friends spontaneously want you to go to your guys' favorite restaurant that you know you love and you're saying no, why? Why are you saying no? Why can't you go do that with them, right? Especially if it's been, you know, two weeks since you've been social or two weeks since you've gone off your protocols. Like living a healthy lifestyle to me means allowing yourself to understand that leniency and sacrifice have a balance. And that if you can't say yes to the things that you love, you're not living a healthy lifestyle. If obviously I get it, like there's some things that you don't want to do. Like if somebody asks me to go paddle boarding, I don't like paddle boarding. I'm not <laughs> Noted. I will never invite you paddleboarding. Okay. (laughs) Like I'm not going. Okay. Like I'm going to say no, because it's like, no, I don't like that. It's not because I want to be, I don't want to be out of my routine for the day. It's because I, I don't like paddleboarding. No, if you Mm -hmm. ask me to day drink on a boat, I'm going, I'm going, I'm the captain. Like I'm going to drive the boat. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. it is so important to understand the things that you love and understand that you don't lose the yes trait to those things just because you're taking care of yourself in a different way. So I think being able to be taken away from your routine and not panic shows that you are truly living a healthy lifestyle. 
But what happens when it comes down to the consistency? So we're going to use an example. What about you are in a dieting phase? You have a very specific goal of um, a physique that you're trying to get to. Yes. And you are on this train and you are saying yes every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. What what do you tell your clients when you are preaching this, like living your life and saying yes to things, but it's maybe taken out of context? Yep. Because there is that balance of like, hey, if you keep saying yes, your progress is going to slow down or even, you know, you might take a step back, right? So that brings me back to the, the comment I just made about leniency and sacrifice. So I always use both of those words for my clients because I think it's important to understand like you can be a yes man, but you can also be a sacrifice person. And that doesn't mean that you have to sit things out. It just means that you have to be prepared. So that's where sacrifice comes into play, right? Is like, okay, well, I am, I have a party Friday night and it's for something really important to me that I want to celebrate. So that's when I want to use my free meal and my, I want to be a lenient. I'm going to have like a few more drinks than normal. Okay, great. But then Saturday, we're also going to brunch. Okay, great. You're tracking your brunch. That's fine. You can go to brunch. You can be there, but you're pre-planning that brunch. You might have to get egg whites instead of the pancakes. You might have to get a fruit cup instead of, you know, and so that's where I always tell them like, Hey, you don't need to sit that out. You can do both of them. It's just, you have to pick one of them to be more structured at and sacrifice a little bit more. Yeah, no, I love that. And I'm a full believer in that. And I think that's really hard, especially like we live in a very social town where everybody wants to go out and go and like, there's really freaking good food here. And it's like, everyone wants to go on the lake every weekend. Everybody wants to brunch every single Sunday. And it can be a lot for people. Yeah. And I think finding that sacrifice is where people will admit that they maybe don't have a grasp on it because the balance, again, it comes with time. Like I don't ever start with clients and I'm like, I want you to get this. I mean, yes, I do want them to get the first week, but I don't under, I don't expect people to get it the first couple of weeks because it really does come down to the self expectation setting as well. And Mm -hmm. saying, I'm sure that you probably don't weigh yourself after you go out and drink on a Friday night. Like, I'm not trying to have a panic attack on Saturday morning, right? Exactly. I think too, um, because there's been so many shifts in the fitness industry and I might get like, I don't think I'll get hate for saying this, but whatever, but say it anyway. Um, Say it, girl. There's so many shifts. Like this is the tea from me, okay? Like there's always something that's on trend. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's intuitive eating. Sometimes it's tracking macros. Sometimes it's dieting for the summer. Sometimes it's growing for the winter. And it seems like there's always like something everyone is focused on. And I think right now this trend is like pushing a healthy lifestyle, which is so fucking important. But again, like we're saying, it comes with sacrifice, but people aren't highlighting the sacrifice part. People are just highlighting, hey, you can do both. But again, you're pushing like, oh yeah, just say yes all weekend, live your life. That's fantastic. But if you do that, you better be hitting your protocols for the next like two weeks, right? And I think there's now a misconception that you can't do things and make it work. I think people think going out to eat or going to get drinks means, okay, balls to the walls, I'll throw the whole day away. But it doesn't. Like- I track six out of seven days of the week and there I have a day where I let myself be intuitive and just live my life. But 
other than that, it's like, I'm still being social. I, I go out to eat like probably two, three times a week. I get drinks like one to two times a week. And it's like, I'm still hitting my protocols six out of seven days. So it's not an excuse just because you're saying yes to not still take care of yourself. There's just kind of like you said, that learned practice of, okay, well, how can I make it work? Yeah. And I love, I love the like exposing of the fitness industry because it's, well, it's really tricky because like we talked about, you see all these things online, you hear preaching about healthy eating and I get it. That is the end goal. Yes. We all want to be healthy. If you are coming onto this podcast and listening and you have no desire to be healthy in general, then like this might not be the place for you. (laughs) You know, like I think most people that you meet in life would like to live a healthy life of some sort, whatever that means to you. We see a lot of the lifestyle things. So as you mentioned, on your profile, you share a lot of your lifestyle. I'm not just tracking your protocols, but when you go out, when you're on the boat drinking, being Captain Carlucci, you know, like we are going balls to the wall some days. But I think that sometimes in the fitness industry, the lifestyle is almost glamorized. Mm. Point where I recently had a client ask how can people that are really lean and thin go out and drink a ton of alcohol and not see the effects of it when they are not experiencing the same thing. And that is the section of the fitness industry that really frustrates me because can you incorporate alcohol into a healthy lifestyle? Yes. That does not mean that you are drinking every single night or drinking five to eight seltzers on Saturday. I'm sorry. It just doesn't, in my opinion, like that's vastly different. And when you see people doing that, like, I I don't know, it just is a, it's like a fine line for me. And I think that's really, it's really frustrating. Yeah. And I think it's even more frustrating too, because it's like, let's say they do go out and they have like five to eight seltzers on Saturday night. And they're like, you said, like romanticizing it and glamorizing it to the point of like, oh, like you can do this, you can do this. Well, then you don't see them on social media on Sunday or they're just posting pictures from the night before. And it's like, no, guess what? They feel like shit today. (laughs) They feel inflamed. They feel bloated. They feel tired, but they're not going to tell you that because they're still in this like romanticizing thing. And so anytime I feel like I am, or I have days where I am like more, I actually just last weekend, I went to my best friend's wedding and I had a time and I got on my story the next day and I was like, I told you guys I was doing the damn thing for this wedding, but let me tell you something. I am paying for it. I don't feel yeah. good. I'm tired. I'm sluggish. I'm inflamed. And it's like, it comes with the territory, but honesty, like that full transparency is so important because there are beginners who are going to see that and be like, well, why can't I have that? It's really frustrating. And I think that alcohol in general is such an over glamorized thing Like alcohol is not good for you. I'm sorry. It's not. And I am not sitting here like holier than thou. I love a good cocktail and I love wine, but like alcohol is a poison that we are putting in our bodies. And so your gal over here who's skinny on Instagram drinking alcohol, like how's her liver looking? I don't know. Internal health health is probably not so great. Okay. We're going to shift gears here a little bit and talk about more of the influence side of things. Now, As I mentioned before we hopped on the podcast, I don't like talking about a lot of politics or religion, but I do think it's really important to touch on because I don't think I see a lot of larger accounts that talk about religion, sexuality as openly as you do. And one, it takes a lot of vulnerability to do so. But I'm curious, like, 
since being a little bit more open the past, I would say like the past year about your religious beliefs, about your sexuality, have you been judged on social media by this? Like how has the response been? Um, I actually can very proudly say I've only ever gotten two negative comments about my sexuality and religion. So just so to be completely open, I am, I am Christian. I practice my faith very boldly and very deeply. And I'm also bisexual. And I talk about both of these things on my platform very publicly. Uh, but yeah, I've only ever gotten two messages that were really negative and it was not even anything that I felt the need to defend myself about. Um, and I think that I had to get to that point before being public about it to mm-hmm. the point of, Hey, like, I know that God loves me as I am. I know that God sees me as I am. Um, and because of that, I don't have to defend myself or my beliefs or, or my decisions or just who I am in general. It's like, you can have your opinion and that's fine. And I'm so happy that you felt so inclined to share it with me, but like, you're not going to get a reaction out of me and that's it. Yeah. Do you feel like you are ever afraid to share things because of the size of your platform? I would say um, a couple of years ago, yes. Now, no. Okay. Because the way that I see it is this. I'm very fortunate to have the platform that I do. And just like everybody else in this entire world, I have an opinion. And it's like, you might agree with my opinion and you might not, but at the end of the day, it's my platform. So it doesn't matter. Like, and I am very, very open to the fact that people have different opinions than me. Mm -hmm. And I'm totally cool with that because you can have good conversation with different opinions and understand different points of view, but it's your vehicle and your delivery that will decipher if I respect you or not at the end of the day. Yeah. I love that you said that because At the end of the day, we are going to have different opinions from a lot of people, even when it comes down to a form tip video. Like your Instagram and your opinions are your own. Like some other influencer or fitness person may have a complete, like they might love keto and be all for keto. And if they are preaching it and they believe in it, great. Maybe that's the follow for you. Yeah. And so I think people forget that our pages are our opinions and like it's really about the delivery of things and how you represent yourself. Now I am usually, I would say I'm a little bit more fearful to share my opinion on my social media, just because I know that even I have clients who have vastly different opinions than me. And I always want to be the person that's pleasing other people. And I'm really, I'm afraid to offend people. It can be a really scary place to put yourself out there. But I think that with what is happening in this like freaking weird world that we live in, like It's important to share things if you feel compelled to do so. Do you like sharing your personal opinions about what's going on in the world on your platform or do you kind of stay away from that? No, I share them pretty, pretty loud, actually. (laughs) And like, it just comes down to the fact that if you have a voice, then what you have to say matters. And even if that's something that I don't agree with, again, it comes down to your vehicle. Obviously, there's a lot going on right now. And I was very public about my opinion with it. And that is actually when I got one of the comments that was like, how can you call yourself a Christian when you believe the things that you're posting? And I was like, really easily, like, I'm still a Christian. And that's it. Like, 
period. Like my opinion is a full sentence and so is yours. There's no difference. And I think it just comes down to, like you said, not wanting to do to offend people. You won't offend people when your delivery is respectable. And that's just the, that's just the way that I see it all is I'm never going to get on my story and act like I sit on a high horse because I don't, my opinion isn't a fact, but my opinion means something to me. And so I want to share it. No, I love that. And I think it's really important and that people who have an influence are sharing their opinions because when we share opinions, it opens up other people's opinions exactly. and it opens up conversations that can be really uncomfortable about really good topics. Mm-hmm. You and I are very similar in the way we think, the way we live as Christians, like what we choose to believe, how we choose to treat people, things like that. And yeah, some people are going to love it. Some people are going to hate it. I've got some clients who, again, have vastly different opinions, share their opinions. But as long as it's done respectfully, there's always a place for conversation. And there's always a place of respectable disagreement. Yeah. It's just open dialogue. I have friends who have different opinions than me too, especially politically. And we have very easy non-argumentative open dialogues about our opinions because that's just how you should have those communication, have those conversations. Absolutely. So what are some things that you would like to hear other people in the fitness industry speaking on a little bit more? Ooh, that's a good question. Honestly, I would have to say probably just both ends of the spectrum. Kind of like I was saying, I think it's important to understand that like Those people who are pushing living a healthy lifestyle, they're grinding behind the scenes too. Like it's not just about always saying yes. It's about like, hey, I do these things as well. And like being really open to the honesty of a healthy lifestyle and how you're actually going to get results and, and just also being truthful about the way they get results. Something I see frequently as of late is a lot of like workout classes. Mm hmm. Fantastic. Right. They're great. But these people that you see transitioning to these workout classes, they didn't build their physiques the way that they did going to Orange Theory. And like, that's just point blank. And like people who do that are incredible. They're, they're very, very fit, but you're not going to like, you're not going to change your body composition in an Orange Theory class. And that's just the fact. So I think just more overall honesty in the fitness industry, more vulnerability of the fact that, you know, hey, we're all human. And these are the things that that happened to me when I am living this healthy lifestyle at the same time. Um, yeah, I think I think you see a lot of really great educational people out there, but I think it's good to see both sides of everything. Yeah. And would you what would, would you say is your like least favorite thing that you see online in the fitness industry? Coaches who push extremes on lifestyle clients. I don't like that at all. (laughs) It really bothers me, but not even like pushing it, but more so in a sense of they are constantly showing things that they do that are taken to an extreme level for no reason. Um, And that is going to, you know, a viewer is going to see that and be like, I need to be doing that. Like just for example, like hitting a step goal, like obviously hitting your steps are important, but if you're at 9,500 steps, like you can just lay down, you don't need to get up and start doing laps around your bedroom. And I've actually seen influencers doing things like that. And I'm like, that's insane that you're not just, you know, it's one thing if you're going to do it. It's another thing if you're actually going to post that, like, you're going to walk 500 steps around your bed just to say you hit 10K. Like, that is the the extremities that 
learn that that help teach unhealthy patterns and disordered patterns with your healthy lifestyle. So um, definitely little things like that. Another thing would be like, I don't know, like these are just examples, but just like a lifestyle client doesn't need to bring their food scale to Chipotle. No. You know, and like those are things that I see lifestyle coaches do and post about. And I'm like, nobody needs to learn to do that. Nobody needs to think that they need to be bringing their food scale with them to Chipotle when all they need to do is just track it in the app and understand that that's fine. Like consistency is so much more important than perfection. And I think sometimes some of the habits that they're subconsciously teaching other people are the reason that a lot of people lean into disordered patterns. That is always interesting to just kind of see the, like you said, the extremes because, and, but I also, I also think on the flip side of things, I think it's okay for, if a coach wants to be extreme, again, it's their opinion. They want to be extreme. Great. But you cannot necessarily expect everybody else to be as extreme as you. And I, Mm -hmm. I am like a huge expectation setter. I always say I'm not like the best goal setter, but I'm a really good expectation setter because it's really great to set like expectations for yourself and realize like what you can and can't do in an instant. Like I personally don't track on vacation. I'm going to New Orleans for my birthday. And my coach was like, Oh, well, how do you want to approach it? And I said, full transparency. I said, I want to just like not track. I don't really want to tell you about it. And I'll see you in five days. (laughs) I was like, I'm not going to work out. I'm going to eat whatever I want. I'm going to drink a lot. Like I'll be back on day six and I'll be back in my routine. Yeah. And so I think that's really important for people to remember that like, exactly. Like you don't need to push your practice on other people, especially if it doesn't work for them or it's not a healthy approach for them. For sure. So what are, what are some accounts or podcasts or whoever, like what are, who are some people that you really like following in the fitness industry that you think set a really good example? Oh, all of our coaches have to say it. I love all of them. I love all of their pages. I think they all do a beautiful job at showing that balance. I would say also Joelle Samantha. She is like a tried and true. I love her. I love Dayla McDevitt. Um, and then I feel like there's a couple of other people. Casey Joe, love mm-hmm. her. And actually Sam Miller. So Casey and Sam are actually a couple. I think Sam is amazing to follow, especially just for personal education, like really understanding more about your body and about your bodily responses. Sam is so wicked smart. And I think he's a great account for people to follow. Awesome. Yeah. And I always say, follow people that you resonate with. You know, not everybody is going to resonate with you. And again, that's totally okay. Like, There is a podcast called the Key Nutrition Podcast. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It is a really great podcast and it might be like way too intense for a lot of people, but like he and I have very similar mindsets about things and it's something that I thoroughly enjoy. And I think it's really important to find people that you resonate with so that you can kind of grasp those perspectives. And if you are working with a coach who like you don't vibe with, tell them, like, let them know, like, Hey, like, this isn't my vibe instead of just ignoring them. Like I am not everybody's cup of tea. You probably aren't everybody's cup of tea either, but it's so important to have that support and conversations of people that you're like, Oh yeah, we totally like vibe, get it. Like same wavelength here. A hundred percent. Okay. So last question What are three things that you think somebody starting out in fitness 
should know going into their journey? Okay. So number one is going to be, you can do it. I think that that is super important. I think that when you first get started, you kind of feel overwhelmed and you feel like where you're at is your reality, but it's not. And you can do it. You just need to believe in yourself and you need to just keep going. So Number one, I guess, is you can do it and just believe in yourself. Number two is what I just said a little bit ago, but consistency over perfection. You do not need to be perfect. You just need to be your best. And that's something that I say to my clients all the time. If you're doing your best and you know you're bringing your best, then you should be very proud of yourself. And I promise you're moving forward. Number three would be decipher a hundred percent. And so this is something I talk about a lot as well is 90% and a hundred percent look really similar because they're both really great, but one of them is better than the other. And I think a lot of the times people are giving 90% and they're wondering why they're not, you know, moving in the direction they want to move. And it's because you need to give a hundred, like with everything you do. And obviously you guys know, I'm like all about work and play, but it really comes down to that consistency. Like you are what you do most of the time. So most of the time it's really important to be very intentional with everything you're doing. Ooh, that last one hit really hard because- Mm -hmm. That's how you go from being good to great in anything is that little piece and just taking it back quickly to that consistency, that 70% consistency that you think you're going to, you're giving it. Imagine if you gave it it 80% consistency. That is the difference you see with your training, your nutrition, with your lifestyle habits. If you can just take it 10% higher, like- Big, big, big game change there. I always say this to people. I'm like, look at how great you're doing right now. And you're giving me like a solid 80. Like imagine if you gave me like a 90 or a hundred, imagine. And they're always like, you're right. Holy crap. And I'm like, put the pedal to the floor. Come on, like show up for yourself. Yeah. I love that. Well, Sarah, this was so much fun. I love just talking to you, chatting with you. And I am so excited about this episode. I will leave all of the handles you mentioned. You mentioned a few people to follow. I will put your social media below and where people can find you. And then I don't know if your application is open for coaching. If it is, it will be in the below area. But to everyone listening, remember to be bold, to be confident, and to be you.